0: Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring.
1: Well, welcome to the final show of our summer season. Parliament may have already chucked their hand in and headed off for their summer holes on Thursday and Laura Coonsberg and all her chums didn't fancy turning up for the politics show this morning. But uh, Portsmouth's... Premier podcast, political podcast perhaps, are still here bringing you all of the things that matter to the people of Portsmouth and we have an absolute titan of local politics joining us this evening. Welcome Steve. Hello Ian. (laughs) You happy with titan?
2: Well, (laughs) I've been called many things, that's the first time that's been used, so.
1: Marvellous. Right, Simon, are you uh, are you are you poised at the technical have you, have you ironed out the technical demons?
0: I have indeed. I am poised like a coiled zebra. Um welcome back, Steve. Great to have you back.
2: Nice to see you too, Simon. <laughs>
0: um I've just got even less hair than I had for about ten minutes ago, but we'll explain that later on. <laughs> um yeah, so well. yeah, here, here we are. So um yeah, our our last show. Shall we should we dive straight into the into the questions, Ian?
1: Yeah. So, so Steve, we were obviously there with you guys on May the 4th um, and it, it looked like it was a cracking night for the Lib Dems. What do you put the success down to the fact that in in local politics, you seem to have done so well for so long?
2: Well, I think it's probably part of a national picture as well. I was at the LGA conference week before last. And when I was last at the uh, Evening Leaders event in 2019, we had a couple of tables in a restaurant and this time we had the entire restaurant. So there is a resurgence going on with us nationally and we as a party have always grown from the roots up and uh, with a strong emphasis on local government. So I think that's part of it. But I also think on a local basis, we graft. You know, we go out, we hit the streets. I did 35,000 steps on polling day and felt every single one of them um and we we get our message out there and we talk to a lot of people not just in the election period but throughout the year regular newsletters and updates most of us interact regularly on social media people know we're available i deal with emails all the time from people right across the city so i think it's a mixture of all those things Uh, i think the national picture with the conservative party being in what can only be described as free fall um is, is is always helpful to us um but equally you know labor seem to have decided that they're tory-like really uh not coming out with much clarity but seem to spend most of the time at the moment explaining why they're not going to do things rather than why they are and as we know there was that local split in the party and most of their activists run off to support one of their former councillors on polling day so when you roll all that together um then it's quite easy to see um why we were particularly successful but we won seven this year we won six in previous years so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're steady and we work very hard in the wards where we have the councillors.
1: There was a lot of talk on the night about the Lib Dem family, um, yeah. you know, number of, a number of councillors who returned referenced it in, in their speech. How would you describe the, the Portsmouth Lib Dem family? Is it like <clears> other families with, uh, with tensions and uh, is it all a bit lively on Christmas? But um, give, give us your view.
2: Yeah, I mean it it is. I mean we're not we're not related to each other and in you know so, um if if it wasn't for politics then we're very different people we might not you know naturally be people who would run off to the pub together but we have a very very strong bond and an absolute determina- determination around our vision for Portsmouth um and when when we need to come together and work together, we do that absolutely and with a great deal of energy. And any you know minor differences and disagreements that happen in every you know every organisation disappear. And you know we're focused on on achieving the goal. And um, when somebody needs a helping hand, they get one. And um, generally, we 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 tighten together as a group and uh, and function really really well. So uh, I know people like to paint disagreements. I've even had people suggest that there was some kind of coup. And Gerald stood down, which is complete and utter nonsense, since he's still on the cabinet and uh, and spent a great deal of time uh, working with me to uh, make sure that I was uh, prepped for taking over the leader of leadership of the group. So, you know, um, I think we will always have differences internally. Um, I think that's the nature of politics, um, but we're a strong unit and we we work really closely together.
1: And I guess that you know, Portsmouth being the unique. City of blue in the north, red in the south and gold in the um, in the chain. You referenced some national issues there, Steve. Do, do you ever see a, a resurgence of the Lib Dems in Portsmouth, potentially with a chance of taking a national level, Steve?
2: Um, never say never. Um, you know, you, we have to operate within political realism. And uh, Steve Morgan's one in the last two general elections uh, is majority went up considerably last time people clearly see labor nationally as the the root that's the anti tory candidate at the moment we benefited that from that for a very long time and we may well benefit from it again in the future i mean nobody um, has a seat for life um, people stand down people have fallings out with their own party and resign we're seeing loads of that at the moment um so who knows what the future holds the the adage uh, a week is a long time in politics is is absolutely true um and with the right person in the right circumstances i'm absolutely sure that we're more than capable of recapturing the either of the parliamentary seats
0: marvelous simon brilliant um so in what way, Steve, would you would you say that your leadership differs from that of your predecessor, Gerald Vernon Jackson?
2: Well, I think there's an an inevitability that it is will be and is different because we're very different people. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're focusing on um, and what we want to achieve, though, is is the same. So, people aren't going to see some sort of major U-turn or sailing off in a different direction with lots of different priorities. That's not going to happen. We are you know we're following on from the commitments that we made over the last few years which the people of portsmouth clearly like and uh, and endorse um so there's not going to be a change in terms of policy um there'll be a change in personality we we're, we're not cut from the same cloth um he's been here in, in portsmouth a long time and i think he's you know he's probably bruised from um, many 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 more battles than i am um and therefore that sort of helps to shape you over, over a period of time but you know i've tried to come in with a with the approach that i'm prepared to listen to and work with other people um he always said the door was open often nobody ever want nobody wanted to walk through it i'm hoping that that will be slightly different now and that people will give me a chance to try and work more collaboratively on those things that we can i'm seeing evidence of that and i'm grateful to the other group leaders for giving me a hearing and and to date work working effectively so um i think that will be a difference and i think I'm born and bred Pompey. You know, it runs through my veins and uh, everyone knows that, uh, you know, Gerald from from somewhere else, even though he lived here 20 years. I think it does just give me a slightly different perspective on things. Um, So I think that's inevitable that that will play out in some of the interactions that I have and and some of the understandings that I have of of the city. So um, but other than that, you're going to see steady as she goes.
1: Okay, lovely. Thank you. So we've been covering local politics now for the last 4 years Stephen obviously we look at the full council agendas and and there are there are often calls particularly from other parties for the administration to to find additional monies to spend on what are often worthwhile causes I guess one of the challenges of being in administration is is the fact that y- you have to make difficult choices so the question is how do you how how do you go about kind of making the decisions about what does and i guess more importantly what doesn't get funding and you know how do you how do you prepare for the the unforeseen events as as we go through the financial
2: year so we all know that local government's taken an enormous funding cut over the last 15 years or so Uh, we've got less than half of the controllable spend that we used to have and of the money that we have got left a very big chunk of that is committed to adults and children's social care so it doesn't give you a lot of flexibility every year we set our budget at the uh, the budget meeting uh, in usually in February and we have to work within those cash limits for the next 12 months so when other groups bring notices of motion that are implying that we need to you know prioritize giving money to other people that's not the right place to do it you know you need to be doing that in the budget meeting because if you do it try and do it during the year and you'll have seen from the council meeting on Tuesday, we've now had a ruling on that, and quite right too, that whilst you can ask the administration to consider something, you can't ask them to commit to something. Because mm. what, one of the things that made these notices and motions that would uh, ended up being dropped from the agenda, withdrawn from the agenda, particularly difficult, was the fact that they were asking us to commit to something for the next five years. Well, the council's rules mean that we would therefore have to find all of that five-year funding in year. You can't just find year one, you've got to find all five. That's really difficult. So in the in the case of the, um, the Pride motion, for example, it wasn't specific on money, but if they were taken as a reference point the existing funding, they're asking us to find another £50,000 now. Well, we don't do that for any other revenue organisation in the city that gets funding from us. So, you know, we have to be seen to be even-handed. And you also have to be very careful not to hold a future administration, might not be us, um, to to policies that were set previously so it's always difficult when these notices of motion come forward and i think we will see more clarity on it from now on so hopefully that won't happen again but you know we don't want to cut things and we the the two issues that were on the agenda the stroke association and and funding for pride we agree they they should both be funded Mm. whether we're able to or not is a completely different question because if you're working within a cash limit and take for example adult social care what do you cut to fund that because you've got to take the money from somewhere else it just doesn't magically appear from somewhere so and you also want to give an organization like that some kind of you know security to say you're going to fund for at least x period of time and again that means taking more than the current year's funding opportunity and that means cutting other things so there are difficult decisions to be made and it's I know because I've been in opposition it's easy to say oh with this particular issue that we're raising the profile of right now is massively important but so is everything else you know so are all Mm. the other services that are being provided to help vulnerable people across the city in a plethora of different ways all of which are under huge pressure we've done an awful lot to protect adult social care and bring a huge amount of extra funding into children's social care and it's still nowhere near enough and you're seeing councils all across the country filing section 114 notices because they're going bust and they're going bust because they don't take difficult decisions and they don't put forward budget savings that they then follow through on using reserves inappropriately to try and smooth things over and put off the tough calls. We have to make the tough calls. If we don't keep the council solvent, then the council will go into into special measures through a section 114 notice and it will be run by commissioners from government. Nobody wants to see that here. We're nowhere close to that situation happening, and I'll do everything I possibly can on my watch to make sure that it doesn't. Because although there are tough decisions, that would be the toughest decision of all—losing control of our own destiny.
1: Does it, does it frustrate you, Steve? I mean, we've 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 touched on them. You know, when we've when we've been through them here, it's that. You know, as you say, often the motions are are really good and noble causes but does it frustrate you that sometimes the, the it, it almost feels like they're they're being used slightly as political footballs because yeah. the fact is that the opposition parties you know n- no there isn't a, a big you know chest full of spare cash in steve's office um does it does it frustrate you when those motions come forward
2: Yes and no. It's politics Ian. At the end of the day mm. people people want to shine a light on something and get all the people that care about that to to think that they're the only people in the room that care on their behalf and therefore get their support. And so it does frustrate me to some extent because we care about it too. You know, that we put a 3-year commit funding commitment into support Portsmouth pride. Portsmouth pride are in absolutely no doubt whatsoever of the Liberal Democrat administrations backing for what they do, and they do a huge amount of good across the city with the LGBTQ plus community all year round, not just at that event. But we can't Mm. keep adding more and more money further and further into the future. That's just not responsible behaviour. Does it make good politics to bring a notice of motion about it, though? Yes, of course it does. So I don't Mm. get cross about it. I understand why it happens. But if you were watching the live stream on Tuesday, I did get up when the Stroke Association notice a motion was struck from the agenda by the city solicitor and go outside to speak to the deputies who come who were understandably very cross that that had happened and wanted Mm. the whole debate to happen and be heard but I was very clear with them if we want if they want us to do something about that and they want to make their case we will listen and ultimately Mm. it is the administration that will have to make that decision so as much as People get latched onto the idea that a debate and a vote in the chamber on an issue like that is going to make a difference. What's ultimately going to make a difference is us being able to decide that there's somewhere else we can take the money from, and that's a really tough decision to make.
1: Mm. No, it is the uh, it, it, it is always much easier to sit on the sidelines with your popcorn, telling you that you've missed a bit, isn't it?
2: Well, it isn't. You know, I've been in opposition too, so I know what it's like. And you're not cited on all of the problems that are going on. Members get regular briefings, obviously, to whichever party they're in, but they don't necessarily see the full picture because they're not embedded in it in the day-to-day. They're not cabinet members at the end of the day, and that they don't hold the, the leader or deputy leader position. So they can't they can't have that overview uh, unless they spent an inordinate amount of time making sure that they did. Um, and no one expects them to. But What I always expect is that people come to me with rational and sensible arguments and some of those notices of motion. You know, the one that struck me again was the Stroke Association one. Councillor Heaney made a point that it had been put through and approved two weeks before the council agenda was actually published, which is, again, eight, nine days before the council meeting. So that's nearly a month. Um, and apparently it was it was so important that it was discussed there and then on the spot because the clock's ticking. Well, why didn't Councillor Heaney contact me and make an appointment to see me and make the pitch for how important it was a month earlier? Because he could have done. Mm. There's, my door's open. I wouldn't have refused a meeting with him. I wouldn't have refused a discussion with him or and the Labour group on it. Um, but so it's not really all about the notice of motion. In For it, its content, it is about the political opportunity Um, and I do feel sometimes that when there's people who are really seriously emotionally invested in something that are hanging their hat on that debate thinking that's going to change the world it's a bit unfair.
1: Yeah so that makes absolute sense
0: Steve. Simon. So kind of on a a similar vein um, quite a lot of the motions that that come to full council uh are calling on the council to take a line in issues that aren't actually within its gift. So either to you know to, to write to those with the with the power um to affect that, whether that's writing to national government or, or writing to one of the two city MPs, for example. Um but what's your what's your view on on the value of those of those sorts of motions? What 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 do they add to the
2: um, to the functioning of the council? I think it does depend on the issue so sometimes although it's not something that we can change locally it is something that's having a big impact locally and at the moment I've just written a very long and detailed letter um to um Southern Railways over the decision to close ticket offices because I do think there's some very serious issues there so it's a national direction that's been given but it's going to have a local impact particularly with Cosham. so should we be debating those things and making representations on them i think we actually should some of the bigger stuff i mean when when we had two notices of motion i think on one agenda over brexit well that's just an opportunity for people to be at a posture in a council chamber it's not going to change anything um ever Uh, so (laughs) and actually who cares what the councillors in portsmouth think about think about an issue of that nature so it depends on the topic um both of those are national issues one of them has a big local impact uh, that we may be able to put some influence over. The other one we weren't going to be able to put any local influence over. So case by case basis for that. Sometimes it's just a case of shining a light on an issue, and doing. And if every council around the country is doing that, maybe government does start to take notice and 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 look at that. If, for example, some of the there's a lot of stuff under the climate agenda that we can't change locally. You know, the, you can't get group of government leaders around the world to sit in a room and have a sensible conversation with each other, let's face it. So that being the case, um, it's is very difficult to think that we can change that locally. But there are local impacts, air quality, for example, is one of them. And so very much an issue by issue basis for me, um, and, uh, and not something I want to see stop. Um, but I must admit that sometimes I look at them and think, why? Yeah,
0: in, indeed, and I, ge- I guess that's kind of kind of our question because some of them are have sort of action points like that, but others seem to uh, essentially just be putting on record the council either supports or recognises uh, registers its displeasure at, at a certain issue depending on th- which, which side it is. So it um, you know I guess as you say issue by issue does that, it is that like you say does it really change anything or is that actually just very valuable to the to the people of the city because it shows that the will of the council is is on their side per se is that is that at least useful is that which is that's,
2: that's, that it's an element of it mm. um i mean it, it it is difficult to give a blanket view on this because there there are a plethora of things that come up during the year but i think people do want to know what their local politicians think about some of the big issues of the day um as long as it's not swamping council agendas and we're not discussing the important stuff that's happening locally so uh it's, it's always got to be a balance and you know, I don't like notices of motion, and you know my party's put them down in the past. I'm not pretending for a minute that we're whiter squeak- white than white here. We, we everyone's done it, um, and it's because it's something that they, as a as a particular group, have a have a passionate about. Have have a passion about, and they want the local electorate to understand that. So, I'm not against it in principle. It's just that. You know when it's clearly something that we can't do anything about and i'm writing yet another letter to somebody there's another local ap- politician that does that uh, on a daily basis multiple times per day and i'm not always convinced of the value of it but i will do it if i think it's there's a point
1: so one of the factors in play locally steve is that for three out of four years um a lot of local councillors are focused on getting re-elected and as you say having to pound the pavements and uh and put that time in does that lead to a lack of sort of governance of the council or is it a case of maybe the council officers kind of welcome you be being distracted three out three years out of four so they can get on with the business of doing the day-to-day work
2: so i, I don't i don't actually think that's a fair representation of what happens i don't think we are distracted i mean that there is obviously the campaigning that goes on and people out you know on the doorsteps but that's a good thing you know, when in councils that only have all-ups every four years, what's the incentive for those councillors for the first couple or three years of that cycle to actually go out and continue to interact house by house with their electorates? Very little, I think. You know, the, the hard-working parties will get out there and deliver leaflets, and the really committed ones will go and knock knock doors on a regular cycle and do that all the time. But a lot won't, um, and that's you know that will very much vary from party to party, but. I get a lot of the feedback and the feeling that I have about whether we're doing the right things or whether there's other things that we could be doing or doing slightly differently from going out and having those conversations. No, it's not just about four weeks of the year frantically running around knocking doors and saying, will you vote for me? It's about saying to people, why do you vote for us? What are the things we're doing that you like? If you're not voting for us, what are the things that we're doing that you don't like? And you can actually have those conversations in a much more qualitative way this time of the year through till early spring than you can when you're rushing around at the last minute time trying to turn your vote out so those Mm. people that don't knock doors all year round I think are missing out and it definitely keeps you focused on that when you are facing those elections in terms of the council officers they probably are quite pleased in the last three or four weeks when we all go off to do other things but I still hold all my regular meetings you know some of the stuff that's sort of sensitive to the pre-election period, which is what we now refer uh, to Perder as, um, and uh, cross-party meetings and stuff often won't happen during that period because they're politically sensitive. So there's a bit more time in your diary, but you're not going out knocking Mm. doors all day, every day. You're not delivering leaflets all day, every day. I'm still very much focused on the day-to-day running of the council. It's only really the last couple of days um, where uh, where that drifts. And, you know, I had council meetings on the day after polling day this year. So, you know, I I think the perception that we all just drop everything and rush off and uh, leave the officers to it is not really an accurate one. And if we had all up elections, well, then you're prone to sudden swings and changes of issue. If you look at 2014, probably would have had 18 UKIP councillors or more that year. Would that have been good governance for the city? In my personal opinion, not.
1: And I guess that's always the balance, isn't it, Steve? Because the, the... You know, we see national elections and, and we see the national issue. And if we look probably three years ago, um, the Conservatives got a bit of a got a bit of a vaccine boost and and their vote held up. And obviously the last two years, it, it's not gone well for them. But I guess with only a third of the councils councillors ever being up for election, uh, I guess the flip side to that is is kind of it it, it feels like. You know, there, there, there is never going to be a significant change in the council. So I guess it's that stability versus the national versus local.
2: I don't underestimate the stability, Ian. You know, we've had huge churn in the council, actually, over the last few years. I was first elected in 2016. Less than 10 councillors been on the council outside my group longer than that. Um, none of the Labour Party um, have been on since before 2018 Councillor Heaney was a councillor before but that was quite a long time ago none of the Portsmouth independent group have been on more than what a couple of years now mm-hmm. um, the community independents were part of that Labour group so again more recent um, the same applies to Councillor Smythe who's the, the you know currently sits as an independent so the only longevity really is in my group and the Conservative group. group it's it's slipped a lot in the last two or three years with people standing down or losing their seats and it is important you know i'm seeing a lot Mm. of them at the moment and we're trying to put it right where because people need more training because they haven't got the the sort of lived experience of these things it can lead to bad decision making and we're i'm desperate that we avoid that so we're not seeing it yet but and it's important that people are upskilled and understand why things happen um and you know the all the group leaders are recognizing this and one of the issues that we discussed recently i won't say which one it is but we were all in agreement that we need to make sure there's more training in place for the new members in my group and the new members in theirs as well because it's important Mm. that we do have that good governance and that strength so you know with an all with all ups every four years you can you can have all that churn happening one go um Mm. and loads of councillors marching in wanting to change the world the following day having put all this stuff on a leaflet and finding out that they can't and that can you know lead to a lot of frustration um, very quickly because they realize that actually the world's not that easy to change because if it was the people already doing it would have changed it
1: and I guess that's a fair point Steve isn't it is it's that element of you know new count and I guess it's great to have some new blood in some new zeal and kind of but there is that element of you know it it always looks even to us you know to Simon and I who are outsiders but are interested it, it's a complex machine and and it isn't necessarily as easy as just having a lot of energy and a passion that that to make fundamental changes
2: it's not and I still see that on every day casework comes into me and you look you look at the issue somebody's got and it's blindingly obvious that they're right and that what they're moaning about should should be fixed But the Mm. process to fix it ain't that simple. Um, You know, people moan about all sorts of stuff. The one that I've just finished doing this afternoon, just before joining you guys, was around vans and cars parking up on the pavement. Yep, it shouldn't happen. It blocks um, access, particularly for people with disabilities or young mums with buggies, etc. Young dads with with buggies, but or fat fat people with guide dogs. (sighs) I'll leave you to say that. Yeah. Um, but the, um, the fact of the matter is we can't enforce them to, uh, those people to move them. Only the police can do that, and, the, and they don't. So, you know, it's a frustration to me, and, and the resident's quite right, shouldn't be happening. does happen. Can't do anything about it. And people write back, but you're the council. You must be able to do something about it. Well, I can agree that we should be able to do something about it, but mm. must, no, sorry, we can't. And the, yeah. with planning, that happens every day somebody why is this happening why the couple well, you know you all know the one why are the council building all these student flats all over the city when we had never built any um yep. and it's because the national planning laws as simple as that decision making needs to be transferred locally and it hasn't been so you know i understand the residents frustrations but again they're writing to us on a daily basis and they know they've got power because we have elections three years out of four and they want and take note and very, very few people, and me, I mean, I'll try and give them as much information as I possibly can because to me, it's really important that people understand how the process works, even if it's not the what the outcome that they want to see. They need to understand the why.
1: Mm. No, I think it's uh, maybe one day I'll get my uh, I'll get my drop curb. I'm I'm two and a bit years and waiting. So we are bringing to I, me, I, Ian, that's why I, 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 I shall I shall make it my point to write to you. Uh, write to you as my local councillors have not fixed it yet so well,
2: if, there's, if, if there's a rational explanation behind it and a legal way of sorting it out and it's the right thing to do then you should have a drop curb and that goes to anybody who writes in i had you know what i had one of the conservative councillors write to me i won't say which one um not long after i became leader saying look there's this issue where he's got it there's a drop curb and he watches a family with uh, a uh, you've got a child with disabilities struggle because pe- it's not got a yellow line across it or a white line across it. And it's obviously, it was obviously yep. an omission. And people were parking there legally when they shouldn't have been, but it's not got got that official designation. And the family were having to go all the way to this corner of the road to go down there and then walk back up the center section of the road to access their vehicle. That's just not right. So he'd had a couple of attempts over the, uh, probably a, more than a couple actually, of getting to the officers and saying, can this be fixed and not got an appropriate response? I said to him, I'll do what I can, let's see if we can sort it. It's now on the list to be sorted. So should that be the case, he should have been listened to as a ward councillor. I'm quite clear on that, shouldn't have taken my intervention, but Mm. if I can intervene and do those things, I always will. And I've told all councillors, if you've got problems and you don't think the officers are coming back to you appropriately, I need to know about it.
1: Excellent.
0: Simon, and almost like a smooth segue, you mentioned about parking. Um yeah. Two two of the um, t- as if it's all peas, isn't it? It's all um, dog poo pavements, parking. Um, so, uh, two of the two of the biggest challenges in Portsmouth are the lack of housing and too many cars causing uh, problems with pollution and and indeed with parking. How how can you tackle both?
2: Well not easily is the answer to that um the, the on the cars issue the only way you actually stop well if at least slow the increase um and try to reverse car ownership is to have better public transport and if we own the buses we could have better public transport But the conservative government when they said that bus services could be privatized also included in the legislation that you couldn't then renationalise them which to me is absolute madness, because that's embedding the ability of corporate failure. Uh, And I'm not, you know, I've always believed in the right solution, whether it's the public sector, the third sector or the private sector to get the best outcome for residents. But when you actually embed it to say that if the private sector sector fails, somebody else in the private sector has got the right to pick it up, but local councils don't get the right to intervene. That to me is a nonsense. Um, And if we were able to take back our bus services and therefore not rely on the current ludicrous system where the companies are allowed to say, well, that route makes a profit, but we're not going to move any of that profit over to look at this other route that makes a loss and the council has got to subsidise the loss and not call that state aid. I just don't understand it. Never have done. I think it's completely ridiculous. So that needs to get fixed. And then if you've got good, reliable, frequent, cheap public transport, then you lessen the reason for people to own cars. On the housing front, you know, we've done that. We're going through the local plan process at the moment. We think we've identified enough land supply to be able to meet what we believe our target should be, not the 17,701 that the government formula says it should be, but a lower target based on a clear rationale. Uh, It's still high, but but it's lower. Um, well, incidentally, where we go with the next local plan, if we delivered all those homes, I have absolutely no idea whatsoever, unless we buy West Sussex. Um, so it's completely stupid. And but we have to we have to deal with it. Everyone knows that whatever not housing numbers we put in the local plan, we won't deliver them because no council does, which is why the funding for the, the sorry, the calculation formula is stupid. Um, and I one of the things that frustrates me on a daily basis is stupid. And that is the, those two things to me hold the city back because we should be able to look, think more strategically on our housing numbers. And we should be able to think better about public transport and that, and, and until we can, both of those things are nigh on impossible to fix. But we've got good housing numbers coming forward on the, on the Tipner East site. We've got the city centre north plan to deliver over 2000 new homes up there. We need to be making sure that every bit of brown land that's not got an economic use uh, is being redirected for housing purposes. I do disagree with the Cosham councillors about master planning Cosham. I think we should do. Um, they said they didn't want to. Um, one of them's now no longer a councillor, and I'm hoping that situation changes because actually the alternative is to see piecemeal development. And then when the next local plan comes around, the bits of land that are left, guess what? They'll get tower blocks designated for them. Who wants that? So and that's why working across the council and the different groups to get the best best outcomes is important. But you can't square the circle on these on these two issues unless there's change and shift at Westminster level.
1: And and just touching on the public transport there, Steve. I mean, we're we're very fortunate, aren't we, that we you know we've got a we've got a rail line that runs you know literally you, you couldn't go any further if you fall in the sea. Yeah. Um, but then you know you, again you've got the major conurbation at Portsmouth and Southsea at Fratton hilsey and then you know you turn up towards Cosham. but i guess it's that you know it there's two trains an hour that sort of follow that route okay there's another one that sort of branches off and goes to to happen but is that really a you know is that good enough or is there you know and is there anything that the is this another one where you know because of the franchise system that the the local council really can't have any influence at all on you know how many trains are running into and out of the city
2: well, i can write a letter there's get, there's lots of letters <laughs> get written um, but no not directly but you're right it's completely bonkers i mean if we've if we've got that rail spine that runs through the city if that just had a regular service that fitted in between the other services channeling channeling backwards and forwards up north and south um and it was an affordable service that's the key thing all these people Mm. that said oh we should have had a tram and we should we've got a flipping tram it's on a railway line um Mm. it's called a train um so we could easily have that connectivity if we were able to to influence the rail companies to put to lay them on but that's not going to happen but i completely agree with you it's it's daft that we've got the ability to do that and and we're not but i am hearing at the moment that some of the Forecasts are that train journey times to London are going to get longer, and train journey times to Southampton are going to get even longer. Well, that's not going to encourage more people off the road, is it?
1: No, and I, I, I mean that that as always, I think you know, as somebody who uses is is forced to use public transport much more than I'd like. It is that comparator of if I can persuade my wife to to drive, you know, and I live literally a five minute walk from Cosham Station, but there is no journey that that isn't at least doubled or trebled in length by by you know waiting for a sporadic train service so mm-hmm. uh, it, it does you know as you say you know people are talking about trams and you know i had the the good fortune to live on the route of the gospel light railway for 10 years which never quite happened but there's that element of portsmouth still has that railway spine mm-hmm. and it does feel like a like an an underused solution when we're talking about the the climate crisis and and the amount of traffic that's that's um coming in via you know the main arterial routes into the city
2: yeah i completely agree i mean it's one of the reasons why you know you we know you use public transport because uh, of your sight lack of sight um and that's a real concern for me around these ticket office closures, Ian. I I, I don't know what your thoughts are on it. But, you know, Cosham's going to be the most affected station. It's your main point of contact mm. with public transport. There's not going to be the office open. We're trying to get clarity at the moment or whether on the periods when the office is closed. Does that mean they're locking the toilets as well? Because that's another amenity removed. Mm. And it's all very well have, saying that they're going to have... Um, people to signpost at the, at the the major stations but that also means that if you do get on a train at one that isn't so if you got on in Kosham and you couldn't get a ticket from anybody at the station you haven't been able to buy it online yeah. you get on the train, you're told you can buy it on the train but you don't know how much that ticket's going to be so you're asked to get on public transport to go somewhere without knowing what the price of it is, you can get one from the guard if there's one on there The other option that they're saying is that you need to get off a a priority one station, which is one of the ones that will have that full man service and Mm -hmm. and get your ticket, get a proper ticket and then get back on a train. So you're being asked to interrupt your journey in order to do a job that they should be doing for you. The whole thing just doesn't make any sense. Um, it's clearly a cost-cutting measure in the short to medium term because we all know what will happen. They'll move them out of the ticket offices. They'll put them on the station platforms. They'll be there all smiley and happy for a period of time. And then they'll gradually go through natural wastage and we'll end up with a worse service. So, you know, nationally, we should be encouraging more people to get on the trains. In Portsmouth, we Mm. really should be and trying to get a better service. And then yet again, we're taking a retrograde step.
1: So we'll go a little bit off piece because you've asked me the question, Steve, and I will give you. So my perspective on this is it it absolutely depends on what happens to those people, Mm. because currently when I approach Caution Station, there are often two. If I approach before lunchtime, there are two people. There's one person in the ticket office and there's one person who is there who's able to act as a sighted guide and can assist me in getting on the train. If I arrive after lunchtime and I've booked assistance, then they'll send somebody from Fratton. But if I arrive and I haven't booked assistance, the person in the ticket office can't help me. So they, they are they're fulfilling a different role, so they can give me advice. But they can't help a disabled traveler onto the train. So there is that element of, from my perspective, if the people in ticket offices are redeployed, retrained, and are mobile, and can sell you a ticket whilst on the move in the same style that the guard can, and or can help you on the train, I actually think it's a better solution. Now, this is not the view of the majority of the disability charities, including my own. Um, As you say, if all it is is just, you know, let's shut it down and and caution becomes like Portchester, you know an unstaffed station then then that for me is significantly worse but I, th- I think there is an element of you know one of the challenges that that you find is i know and my guide dog knows where Cosham ticket office is but there's an element of you know if i was to pull up in a station which i didn't know the layout of then obviously you know my dog good as he is i can't whisper in his ear go and find the ticket office because he doesn't know where it is so there is an element of you know if there were more trained staff on the platforms who are able to help then for me that would actually be a step forward but if all it is is you know closing the ticket offices and then not replacing that with people then for me that is a that is a very retrograde step
2: yeah i agree
1: right so we've we've gone off piece. simon's probably now looking terrified so let's go to our next question steve which is you know it, it's the magic quest for 22 in local council i think it, you know the the lib dems have always been very successful in the south of the city and sort of edging north um but do you think there there is a route to 22 or do you think there's always going to need to be a a kind of uh a, a, a working together with other parties and actually do you think that that leads to better decisions because the fact that you know, ultimately you're you're not in complete control and, and can then just crack on and do everything you want.
2: So I think this is a really, really good question and I think it's about perspective. So I'd you know, I'd never mind twenty two. I'd like to have twenty six, twenty eight, thirty, I'd love to be Keith House in Eastley, who has a, almost a one party state over there. Um that would be absolutely lovely and it would certainly be less stressful. But but I think that it is beholden on any administration to think about the future. And w- overall majorities don't last. Um, I mean, this government's got an, quite a big majority and they're doing their best to throw that away at a rate of knots, which is quite remarkable. Um, but, you know, things change over time. What I'm really keen to do is try to make sure that we've got cross-party buy-in on the big issues. Because as we move forward as a city, administrations will change. Mm. this city can't afford u-turns on the big stuff because that will just either waste money waste time or waste resources one of those three things um it will also give the electorate no confidence whatsoever that the city's actually got a plan now we do have a plan we've got a vision got a corporate plan that we update every year uh, that flows out from that vision and you know all councillors and uh, council staff are aware of it and we're delivering against it things that crop up all the time you'll see in Council papers, we the city vision will be referenced, the corporate plan will be referenced. So we everybody knows what we're doing. But on the big stuff, things like tip in the West, things like the future of the civic offices and, and how we deliver council services going forward, just as two examples, I think it's really important that there is cross-party work there, regardless of whether there's an overall majority for the administration or not. It's the easiest thing in the world is to slam the door on everyone else because you don't need to talk to them. But actually, Mm. they might be the people in your seat in one, two, three, ten years' time. Who knows? And therefore, it's really important that everybody understands the direction of travel and has buy-in to it. It's not to say that somebody will not come in and want to do things slightly differently. But if it's a fundamental difference, then that's a real problem. And for a minority administration, it's important to us that we do listen and we do work with other people. And we do a lot of that um despite what gets said in the council chamber or on other party social media there's an awful lot of talking goes on um both informally between councillors having conversations but you know also through briefing meetings decision meetings through portfolios through cabinet um it's really important that that knowledge is out there so i yes it's great to to have that aspiration to have an overall majority because I want more people to be represented by Liberal Democrats because I'm a Lib Dem and I believe that we do the best for our communities. Otherwise, why would I be one? Um, mm. But that's not to say that other people don't have different perspectives and it's not to say that we've got all the answers. So, um, you know, maybe we will. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that we that we could do that. Um, but, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Portsmouth's very unstable because it has a lot of minority Administrations, well, it's not that unstable, is it? Because in the last mm. nine on 20 years, it has been run by Lib Dems for nearly 16 years of it and Tories by the other four. Um, there's lots of, in inverted commas, stable councils with overall majorities that swing in different directions. We've seen that in Southampton the last couple of years with the Tories have an overall control and Labour have an overall control and they're facing a £30 million plus in-year budget deficit problem that they've got trying to sort out. And we're not. So it's not the necessarily the golden ticket to say you've got to have an in inverted commas strong and stable government and we know what happened to the last national prime minister that tried to make sure that she got one
1: oh, <laughs> i can't believe strong and stable's made a comeback that's um and you managed that that's, without
0: that's a, without the c word without the, the oh
1: that's a yeah that's a that's a three word slogan that i'm 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 not keen on i was just gonna little little thing there my my list for leader sticker doesn't seem to have uh how appropriate, aged well, it, how appropriate it, it's um, on a rubbish
0: bin um so. sorry yeah. um,
1: so um yeah so so I, I guess my my sort of little follow-up to that steve is, is sometimes there's this accusation that because of that three and four year cycle that that the really big issues which are gnarly and ugly and you know, the the only solutions to them are potentially going to be unpalatable to the electorate. That they kind of sit on the back burner. Do do you think you know there there is a case for that, or or do you think that you know things like the climate crisis and and you know that those big issues can be tackled if there's an acceptance that that whoever's hand is on the steering wheel, no no one's going to have complete control of the car for the next four years.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's a bit of a mixture, really, because on some stuff, no disrespect to the members of the other opposition groups, but what I really want to know is what people out in the city think, which is Mm. why doing meaningful and quality uh, consultation on on the big issues is really important, because as much as we all like to think that we represent every single person that voted for us on every single issue, that's not the reality. Um, And, you know, people make a decision on balance which party they're going to support. So it's a fool who thinks that, every single person that put the cross in the Lib Dem box at the elections, put them into office when the same for other parties uh, automatically endorses everything that they believe in. So going back out and checking in with the community on a very regular basis is the most important thing, but also in engaging with those other councillors from those other parties in that process so that they're out being part of those conversations too. And this is stuff we've done very successfully with the party in, Hilsey events, et cetera, and partying and costume and things that we've done over the mm. last couple of years and getting it, people in to have more than just a, a straightforward tick box conversation, and actually talk to them in depth. It's been a brilliant piece of consultation going on around the Hilsey Lines project at the moment, which was part of the levelling up fund money. Uh, and, you know, I've been up there um i've seen the independent councillors up there i've seen the conservative councillor up there i've seen the caution councillors engaging with it uh, and we all chat about you know what what's going on and w- what the issues are with it it's a multi-million pound project um you're never going to get everybody to agree on everything um mm. but you do need to make sure that you're regularly checking back in with the with the electorate uh the residents in the city and not just those people that vote but everybody um and uh, and trying to take the councillors with you wherever you can so yeah, a bit of a mixed picture, really, I guess. Excellent.
0: So as someone with a proud history in the arts and music scene in the city, how would you describe the current provision in the, in Portsmouth?
2: Not enough, not enough, not enough. Um, having said that, it, um, there's a huge amount of great work going on here at the moment. I mean, we've got the Look Up Paint Festival coming up that the council supported. Uh, and again, this is another example of cross party, the Two, community independents and the Labour councillor in Charles Dickens Ward supported it with, with a financial contribution from Ward Sill. And the Lib Dem administration's kicked in money from from uh, Central Resources as well in order to make it happen. Uh, that's matched against £30,000 of Arts Council money um, and also some private sponsorship. That's good partnership working, and it's going to see a great cultural outcome, not just in the south of the city, but across the city. So I want to see more of that sort of stuff happening. Uh, I was recently appointed to the Area Council, France Council Southwest, so that gives me an opportunity to make that argument even more strongly regionally, which I think is important. And I'm on there with the Labour leader of Southampton and the independent cabinet member who's my opposite number on the Isle of Wight. And we all get on with each other and work really closely together on these issues. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of synergy here around that. I made the decision that we weren't going to press forward with a City of Culture bid in the last round, the one that Southampton was shortlisted in, because I thought we needed, and I still remain convinced of this now, that although there's value in the process itself, um, we needed to have an independent organisation in the city that was really able to get in there and advocate for the sector as a whole. Uh, And Portsmouth Creates is going to do that. I mean, they would have been doing it by now if, if, if not for COVID. Um, But they Mm. really are beginning to get traction. They're holding regular networking events, funding surgeries, bringing in the big digital culture, media and sport um, partners. So people like um, BFI, uh, British Film Institute, the Arts Council, Historic England, National Lottery Heritage Fund, bringing in these people to have these conversations so that they can understand how to bid and where to bid. I've just allocated, it's just been announced actually, from the so-called UK Share Prosperity Fund, which is one of the most compromised funding things any government's ever put out, if you ever want to ask me about that. But nevertheless, I've found a bit of money from it that's going into Portsmouth Creates to Manage that will give an automatic 10% um, match on any organisation that's able to secure Arts Council funding up to thirty thousand um, pounds, and that's a really easy route. Then, because lots of organisations know that if they're saying they've got council match funding of uh, say three thousand against a, a total bid of thirty thousand, that they've got more chance of securing that money. So, potentially that thirty is going to leverage in three hundred thousand. Um, we've got the university back in ports and creates. We're back in ports and creates. Victorious Festival are back in ports and creates. We're year-on-year funding, hopefully over the next three years at least. We've put loads of extra money into the uh, things like the Guildhall regeneration project, um, which is going to deliver a great uh, hub for young people around the creative industries. There, there's skills and training money and mentoring money coming in. We're working with. Um, shaping Portsmouth to deliver that mentoring because they've got the, the wider business skills to help skill up people from cultural and creative industries but you know more broadly we've got Victoria's Festival which is right up there now with Glastonbury, Reading and Leeds as one of the top festivals in the country without a shadow of a doubt and delivering great economic outcomes for the city both the internal visitor economy and the destination visitor economy we've got the King's Theatre putting on community productions with West End Production values, I went to see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, you've got the new Theatre Royal now with a new board and a new chair and a new focus bouncing back after a whole awful situation they found themselves in during COVID. Aspects galleries just secured their... Um, crowdfunder in order to keep funding the dementia work that they're doing and they've got plans to work even more closely and showcase local artists you've got art, l- blind artists like clark reynolds doing phenomenal work and having a a morph up in london dressed like him yep. uh showcasing i don't know if you've uh, heard about that ian but it's quite phenomenal so uh so just and...
1: up to my right steve i i've got an the uh, i've got an original clark reynolds uh just up in my office to my right so um clark clark and i go back a few years he used to play cricket with me but
2: he's doing phenomenally well locally. he's just you know breaking the mold all over the place and getting himself out and about across the country and it's brilliant to see so there's a lot more we can do Um there's great work we going on with people with learning disabilities at the moment um being delivered um, working with the amazing Sarah Midas and her team at the Aldenborn Trust in Cromwell, Cornwall Road, who are just phenomenal. That's my go-to place for pure joy. Never seen anybody like Sarah who just emanates joy and happiness across a room um, and, all, and is upskilling those people so that one of the young people she works with is now on the Portsmouth Creates board. And that's really, really important. So that we're all... On a journey. The journey's been, I know, because I used to chair the Culture Partnership long before I was ever a councillor. It's been a long journey. But I think we're now starting to get the Arts Council to understand that Portsmouth isn't not doing cultural creativity because they haven't been funding it. It's been finding ways to do it anyway. And if they Mm. just were to start putting in a bit more cash and stepping up in the way that the council has and maintains support, for a lot of organisations, even while things have been so tough over the last fifteen years, we can do great things here, and I'm sure that we're going to over the next few years. Yeah,
1: and I'll 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 amend that, Steve, as uh, as somebody who regularly attends uh, local music and theatre events. I, I think I think we are we're very fortunate, you know, again from the Guild through to the Wedgwood Rooms to have such a diverse range of of kind of venues in our city that turn out there's something for everyone there I think
2: yeah and I'm hoping that I can be the voice for the independent music sector on Arts Council because I've run a music venue I've worked in the industry I know what it's like and I think hopefully that will give them a slightly different voice than maybe they've had before and I'd like to think it's one of the reasons why I've been selected to join
1: final question then Steve and as you know we always uh, we always sometimes like to ask that that kind of if money and politics were no object, what, what were the three things that you'd really want to fix in Portsmouth to, to make life better for the people of the city?
2: Yeah, I like this one because it gives me the opportunity to forget all the frustrations and the complexities and the, the difficulties and the can't-dos and think about what you'd do if you could. And I'd I'd buy the entirety of the city centre so that we could actually redevelop it. And then with that bottomless pit of money that you've just given me, I would redevelop it. wouldn't necessarily literally knock down every property, because I think there 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 are some um, bits and pieces around that are well worth reusing and, and showcasing. And actually, you don't want an identical high street, God forbid, that mm. would be awful. Um, but just having what I'm really saying is that ability to properly intervene there um, would be amazing, because we're not a landowner in the vast majority of it. And it's very frustrating when, as much as we try and buy properties to influence change, we just can't. Uh, we get outbid yeah. every single time linking into that the city centre south piece around getting out of this awful civic offices burning a four thousand pound a day just by being in there and coming up with a more sustainable solution both from a climate perspective because that's a lot of energy being burnt um, but also from a value for money for the uh, people of portsmouth perspective that would be great and if money were no object we could start you know identify a site this week buy it get building straight away Um, that would be phenomenal and then reimagine The Guildhall Square to be a really amazing civic space. It's already a good one, but it could be a phenomenal one and one that we could all be really proud of. Get that house building moving. So there's a big piece for me around the city centre um, and I think that is an issue that a lot of people do care about and would like to see change. I'd make all bus services free so that we would get people out of their cars and I'd make sure there were regular services to every part of the city. And then we could lower the need for car ownership cost of living crisis that would save every an awful lot of people an awful lot of money and it would be environmentally fantastic for portsmouth so that's two of them um the third one is something that i a lot of people will maybe not be expecting me to say but it's about funding early help and intervention during the austerity period which seems never ending frankly the an awful lot of things that weren't statutory had to be cut because you couldn't cut the statutory stuff. So you had to cut mm. the things that weren't, weren't regarded as must have. But that was the stuff that stopped things building up through the system and creating demand further on. And people who know me will know I always use the same analogy because it works. And that is when the sink's overflowing, don't keep buying more buckets, turn the tap off. And the way you turn the tap off is to put more money into the front end of the system to prevent those bad outcomes further down the line. And that's keeping people in their homes and independent for longer so that they're not dependent on going into full time care, which is, you know, which can be of great quality. But why wouldn't they want to be in their own home if they could? Why do we not have enough funding to be able to fund youth services in the way that we want to. We actually have more youth services here than an awful lot of cities do because of smart decisions that were made in the past, but we could do a lot more, and then therefore we could intervene and disrupt some of that county line stuff that destroys young lives in in an awful way. We could upgrade our schools and, and, and do so much better. So early intervention for me is always the answer when I'm looking at the biggest costs pressure wise that the council is facing and i just haven't got enough money to be able to take it from the back end to the front end in order to save the problems because we have to catch Mm. the people at the point they're falling over if you gave me additional money and i did say this to government ministers at the lga conference stop measuring everything we all know how to fix this trust us as local councils to present you with a plan that will reduce the really serious pressure on the back end of the system put it to the front end of the system and local councils will save money. We want to save money because we want to invest it back in local services. So, And that's not something that's a Lib Dem thing. All councillors across the LGA believe in this and I'm desperately hoping that maybe the next government might finally listen.
1: Steve, I think that's a perfect place to to end it. Thank you ever so much for your time this evening um, for giving us those insights and uh, good luck with that leadership journey over over the next... uh, I would think probably a few years so i don't see things changing soon so you've been listening to the pompey politics podcast i've been ian tiny morris
0: and our guest today has been council leader steve Pitt. so thank you steve and i've been simon sansbury um join us in september we're taking a summer break now um so uh, do join us back in september but don't forget to uh, subscribe to us uh, on youtube or follow us on on Facebook or on on threads or on Twitter, on all the numerous places that you can find us. The barcode in the top left hand corner of the screen takes you to our website where all the links are. And if you're watching us on YouTube, there's a subscribe button in the bottom right hand of the screen. Um, But do have a fantastic summer. Thanks again to Steve for giving us his time and um, being our special guest to round off our summer season. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, Play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics podcast.
1: Getting Pompey
0: Politics podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, Play the latest episode. Stop. See, it's easy.